1: Policy Genius helps you find the right life insurance coverage by comparing options from America's top insurers with help from licensed, award winning agents. Secure your financial future with Policy Genius. Head to policygenius.com to get free life insurance quotes in just a few clicks. That's policygenius.com. You're listening to the Sportsman's Nation Podcast Network brought to you by. Outdoor Edge in their complete lineup of knives and game processing kits. These guys right now are doing an absolutely huge giveaway where you could win an elk hunt. And not just any elk hunt. We're talking about a 7 or 8 mile horseback ride into the backcountry. We're talking a one-on-one guided hunt. Enter the discount code NATION30. That's the word NATION with the number 30 after that. No spaces, NATION30, and you will receive 30% off your purchase.
2: My name is Clay Newcomb, and I'm the host of the Bear Hunting Magazine podcast. I'll also be your host into the world of hunting, the icon of North American wilderness, the bear We'll talk about tactics, gear, conservation, but we'll also bring you into some of the wildest country on the planet, chasing bears. For those of you that have been paying attention, you've heard us talk about the sheep hunt of the south, which is our way, it's our metaphor, our analogy, of talking about hunting black bears in the eastern deciduous forest without the use of bait or hounds, but just hunting them out in the mountains based upon sign. One of the original people that I spoke with about this was James Brandenburg. Well, James, since that time, has been planning a bear hunt here in Arkansas, a sheep hunt of the south bear hunt in Arkansas. And amazingly, well, I don't want to give it away. But James Brandenburg is on this podcast and he tells the story of an incredible hunt that took place just a few weeks ago right here in Arkansas from his planning, what happened during the hunt, the execution of the hunt, and he tells the whole story. So you're going to enjoy this podcast with our good buddy, James Brandenburg. This week, I am citing in a cva muzzleloader what i've got is their acura mountain rifle and it's got a cerakote finish and it's in max one camouflage it's got a 24 and a half inch barrel it's a breakover gun so it's it's kind of like one of these single barrel shotguns you know it just breaks over you know you release you press a lever the bottom of the gun the gun breaks over it has a breech plug that you can undo by hand you don't need a tool and i'm getting a scope in this week and i'm going to be sighting that gun in and hunting with it next week in arkansas for deer Musloader hunting is some of the most liberal and best times to be in the woods for whitetails especially cva makes an incredible line of musloaders. this musloader is light and looks sharp it feels good you're going to want to check out the CVA line of muzzleloaders and their incredible guarantee that they have on everything that they send out. Check it out at cva.com. DU Hunting Supply, W Hunting Supply. Our friends, Buddy Woodbury and his team, they, they've they had a big week. Garmin came out with their 200i, which is their first big jump in handheld dog tracking technology in many, many years. So Garmin just released this 200i Alpha, and it's uh, Buddy Woodbury and, and DU, these are the guys you need to buy these from. If you're looking to upgrade your tracking unit, do it. And just to give a quick, very quick uh, intro to what this is, this thing will track your dogs You can tone and stimulate your dogs, but it also has built into it an in-reach device, which is a satellite text messaging and a satellite uh, emergency service request platform from Garmin. So go check it out. W has some great videos that describe what the 200i is that you can find on social media. Check it out. James Brandenburg, man, you are, uh, this, this really wasn't planned to start out this way, but, uh, we've got a treed squirrel dog back here behind the global headquarters. James, you're wearing a shirt. What's your, what's your shirt say? Sheep hunt of the South. Sheep hunt of the South. Can you, uh, can you
3: describe what that means? Yeah. Yeah. I feel like I've got a pretty good basis on that now, man. That's yep. a, you know, down here in the South, we've got, uh, we don't have sheep, we got some places to go some real wild rugged places to go around and, and chase black bears yep and you want to go out and in a big block of a national forest or something and spot and stalk a black bear man an
2: elusive you, animal
3: that is it is very elusive i have determined and uh, that is the sheep hunt of the south
2: yeah so the 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 metaphor was originally um developed here at the global headquarters because you know sheep hunting has this this allure this this stigma this this idea around it that it's super difficult and i'm certain that it is you know sheep are <laughs> yeah. sheep are they live in wild really wild places they're an elusive animal and it has this you know this 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 it's been marketed to us as like this elite hunt mm-hmm. you know sheep shape and all this well, we got a little uh, we got a little jealous down here, <laughs> and uh, and thought some of our uh, escapades and adventures were being overlooked. So this is, you know, what we termed black bear hunting in national forest without bait or hounds. We called it the sheep hunt of the south because it is extremely difficult. I, you know, there's no data really on the odds of success honestly because so few people have actually dedicated their hunting specifically to bear which you've done and that's what we're going to talk about on this podcast yep but you know most of the bears harvested in the southeastern united states and even in the appalachians not over bait or hounds would be opportunistic deer hunters because the way that things work well The way things work out west is typically people have specific tags Mm -hmm. for specific animals. Right. So, like, if you hunt in Montana, like, maybe you bought a bear tag, maybe you didn't. Uh, If you hunt in Colorado, it's the same way. You know, like, there's these, like, species-specific tags. Mm -hmm. Most of the southeast, we have like the sportsman's license. Yep. So for $35 in Arkansas, a resident gets six deer tags, two turkey tags, a bear tag, all the squirrels you want, all the small game you want. And so basically every licensed hunter in Arkansas that has a sportsman's license, which I would guess would be the vast majority mm-hmm. of Arkansas hunters, yep, are going to have a bear tag. That's right. And so if they're in a bear zone and it's legal – and a bear ambles by them while they are intentionally deer hunting, and they harvest this bear. Wow. God love them. Awesome.
3: (laughs) We're going to celebrate
2: with you. But that is not what we're talking about. That's right. We're talking about a specific and very targeted hunt. With an animal that is highly elusive, bears are very patternable. But they're very hard to find. Well, they're you have to quirky. find it
3: first before you can figure out what its pattern is. <laughs> exactly.
2: Exactly. And uh so we're gonna talk about the challenges of this kind of hunt and uh but I just wanted to define what it is. Yeah. First of all. Um so this was your first year bear hunting.
3: Yeah. Yeah, I've never well, done
2: it before. Tell me why you wanted to get into this. Yeah. I mean, we and we've talked about like you could go back and I think it's episode forty four. You, me, and you, you, we called it the beginner's guide to bear hunting. Yep, and basically it it turned into a conversation about how to hunt national forest. Mm-hmm. And uh, and that has be, been one of our most listened to podcasts of all time. Yeah. People really listen to it.
3: We've I'd, also. I probably have a couple of notches. I listened to that one more than once. <laughs> yeah, okay, so
2: you're bumping the analytics yeah, on that I'm one. Sorry about
3: that. <laughs> yeah. Well,
2: so so we have history. Me me and you have history in this conversation, yep. which is why it's so stinking cool that you're here and you're going to tell us the story that you're going to tell us. Yep. But so tell me what drew you to that kind of hunt?
3: Yeah. Well, as we've talked about, you know, I'm a. Uh, I mean I I don't like the term adult onset hunter but nobody's come up with a better one. I just didn't start hunting until I was an adult. Right. And um have just gone through various stages of that. Last year um between hunting multiple species starting September 1st with dove and and just going through all the different things uh my son and I hitting all these different seasons um and and I didn't really see a lot of deer last year, but I was working hard to get out there when I could. And I got to the end of the, of the season, uh, probably the end of deer season is when I started thinking about this and then went through December and January waterfowl seasons before I really solidified it. But I kind of got to the point where I was asking myself, like, what was I, what, what did I want from hunting? You know, obviously we want to have success in the field. We want to bring meat home. Um, some people want to bring home a big trophy deer. You know, they spend a lot of time trying to trying to bring home a trophy. and um, And so I was asking myself, like, why am I doing this? Like, I enjoy it. Like, I look forward to it all the time. But I was going out in these little tiny blocks of time. You know, Mm -hmm. I'd have an afternoon on a Saturday. And so I'd hustle around and get everything done on Saturday morning. And I could go out in the afternoon on Saturday and, or I'd get up super early and, and, and go out for a day. Or I I remember one weekend I drove to Tulsa to watch my son play soccer. Then I drove back and my intention was to hunt. Um, I was going to deer hunt. Sunday all day. And my youngest son had gone with my oldest son and youth waterfowl hunted in Missouri. And it was fantastic, Dad. You gotta take me back. You gotta take me back. We gotta go back. It was so good. So I got up at like 3:30 in the morning and I took him up to go duck hunt. And mm-hmm. then I came home and then I went out and deer hunted. I mean, I was killing myself. Long story short, I was killing yeah. myself. What am I trying to get out of this? And I realized what I haven't had that I think a lot of people who grew up hunting have had is I, I hadn't had a a hunting camp experience. Mm-hmm. And I hadn't really dedicated an extended period of time to a particular hunt where I'm gonna go, mm-hmm. I'm gonna scout, I'm going to hunt if I need to keep hunting until I'm successful or I'm going to give myself an extended block of time to hunt day in day out and, and take what I'm learning in the moment and apply that to the next day's hunt. And so, um, something else that you had said, you know, at some point in the Gary Newcomb school of hunting was, you know, be, be, be good hunting where you live first. You don't need to travel. Um, I mean, coronavirus happened but my decisions were made before coronavirus you know so I wasn't going to travel this year but I just said let me give this a try yeah and and block out the time
2: you know I think it's I want to stop you before you answer your question (laughs) because I thought it was a great question to ask I mean that that has me thinking about your question asking myself the question which I think if you don't do it very intentionally, you kind of skip over it. But it's like I like that question: w- What do you want to get out of hunting? Yeah, because sometimes for those for for people that um, hunt a lot and and that have done it a long time, sometimes you forget why you're doing what you're doing, mm-hmm. just because it's just it's just what you do, right? You know, and not that, that doesn't take away the enjoyment of it but i think that's a good place to be self-aware to be analytical and it was like what what's your goal? like yeah. what why are you doing what you're doing and are you getting out of it what you need to be getting out of it mm-hmm. yeah it's just a point to slow down and think about
3: yeah and and that's my approach to a lot of things in life you know some people can some people don't have that and and that's fine like not everybody needs to be self critical the way that that I probably am about myself but it's just my nature like I'm going to I'm going to ask myself do I need to be spending time doing that you know is it is is uh spending time on Facebook like what I need to be doing to yeah. to 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 sharpen my saw so to speak and and just to be the kind of person I want to be I think it's be, okay you
2: know? to say that everybody needs to be doing that I mean I mean so. pe- there's some people that have a natural default systems built inside of them for self-reflection and awareness that's maybe stronger than someone else, but I'd say that that is a skill of being human that has made us successful as a species and as people yeah. and is is something that needs to be sharpened inside of all of us. Yeah. Now, you can do it too much so that you're over-analytical and super critical of yourself mm-hmm. and stuff like that, which some people might tend to be that way, but then there's other groups of people that just have no self-awareness, no self-evaluation, and I would say that's not good either. Right, yeah. You know what I mean? I I I like what you're saying. So I don't think it's just like, well, I'm that way, and maybe some people aren't. I think you've spotted a reality that, yes, you are that way, and there are some people that are not, and it's their choice, but it's good to be aware, analytical, self-reflective, critical to a degree, I mean, if you want to be successful in anything, you got to do that. I so think I so. Like, I like what you're saying.
3: Yeah. So, so in thinking about all that, what do I want to get out of my hunt this year, or out of my time in the field? You know, I really wanted to have that time. Um, you know what I explained to you earlier, um, and I think most hunters would would understand this. You know, when you walk into the woods, you kind of walk in with a with a bubble around you and that mm-hmm. bu- you push that bubble out into the woods and and the game the birds and the squirrels and whatever's around you unless you're you know the faster you move the bigger the bubble is around you let me put mm-hmm. it that way mm-hmm. and when you get out into the woods and you and you see like um you sit down and you sit still and then you see the woods come back in, you see, you can see that bubble shrink around you when the birds start to get closer to you, the squirrels start to get active around you. And, and I, that's the best way that I can describe what I wanted to have in a total hunting experience this year, rather than having a, I got to rush out for a weekend here, rush out for a weekend there or a day or whatever. Yeah. I wanted to go out into the woods plant my flag, and then have the woods kind of shrink back in around me and then exist where where the other parts of life that are all important and they have to be balanced in order for you to do right. this, but those parts of life I could very purposely set aside and ignore right. and just be immersed In the hunt. Now, whether Mm. I was successful or not, this year for me, my definition of success was I'm going to the woods as long as I don't, you know, injure myself uh, badly, (laughs) run, you know, have to run out of the woods because I, you know, terrify myself or something like that. Like if I can go out there and sit there and do that and kind of be happy being with myself, that was success. Mm. That was how I defined it this year. Mm. I want to go in the woods. I want to, I want to learn more about the environment around me. So I spent the year clay. I spent all summer. I mean, last spring into the summer kind of practicing those skills, like go out in the woods, camp for a night in the woods, go look around, ask myself, what is that tree? What is that plant? Mm -hmm. Um, what uses that? Where are the trails? How do I get around? What happens to me when I put on 20 pounds of weight in my pack and carry it around? I mean, I did all that stuff. Mm -hmm. And, um, but with the intention that when I got to the end of September, I was going to be, I was going to know what I was getting myself into. Yeah. Man, I really like,
2: uh, I like the way that you described the bubble. Because the, the bubble you're talking about is actually real. I mean, like when you walk into the woods, like that's a great description, mm-hmm. but it's also internal. And then, you know, you kind of used it as a, as a analogy for even your space as a human for somebody that th- there is a lot of value inside of a hunt that is a longer period of time where you can go and get away from and not to escape. I don't like an escapism mentality like people like yeah. act like their world is just on fire and then when they get out in the woods it's like, "Oh, I can just get a reprieve from the world." Like it's going to be waiting for you when well, you come yeah. back. <laughs> so, I like this holistic idea that uh that we could build our lives in such a way and this is what I've seen you do that we can plan and we can go to a wild place and immerse ourselves in it and our world not fall apart at home. And that gives you the ability to actually be successful when you hunt
3: mm-hmm.
2: is that, you know, in in but it's a pretty, we actually talked about this a few podcasts ago when we were in Montana, it's a pretty rare human experience these days to be in a wild place for like seven days. Right even though th- that's not to say that there aren't other people other than hunters using wild places for extended periods of time, mm-hmm. but hunters are doing that probably more than anybody. I can't think of, I mean, some of these guys would be like mountaineering and going back country camping for like 10 days at a time. That's a pretty elite group of people. It is. Mo- most, pe- most people that are just campers, recreational campers are going out for two, three days max. Mm -hmm. I mean, do you agree with that statement?
3: Yeah, I think so. I mean, it's hard to... I mean, Maybe it's just because they're not taking pictures and putting them on Instagram that maybe I'm not following the right Instagram accounts. I don't know, but it seems like you're right.
2: Well, and and I'm not saying that there's not people that don't, but what I am saying is is that when you're hunting, you have a reason to be in the woods for seven days. Yeah.
3: Ten days, and it's... I mean, and that to me, like that's another part of it too. Like I, I enjoy being out in the woods, but I really enjoy having a reason to be out in the woods. Absolutely. I I have no
2: qualms with saying that I am not a hiker. I mean, Mm -hmm. you like say, Hey Clay, let's go on a seven day backpacking trip in Colorado in June. And I'm like, man, I think I'll stay here. Yeah. I mean, and granted, (laughs) Maybe there would be a time when I would do that and love it, but I mean like when you become a hunter and you – it's like a lot of your mental space and recreational space in the outdoors just becomes focused on a goal, which you spent a lot of time in the woods during the summer scouting, but it was mission-oriented. It was driven towards this thing that's coming.
3: You know what Ben said on that podcast is sharpening the life knife – yeah. That's the yeah. term that he used and I yeah. really liked that. And that was um that's what I felt like I was doing every time I went out scouting, you know. Yeah, yeah, it was a hike and it was 90 95 degrees sometimes. Yep. But I was I was sharpening that knife and figuring out um a, a different I was learning the landscape. I was learning a different skill. I was understanding how I was going to be able to perform physically in that environment. So, um, yeah, like if I can't, if I can't, I feel like at this point in my hunting career, if I can't be outside and adding something to my capability or testing something, like it just drives my wife nuts because she'd be like, on Mother's Day, like we always go for Mother's Day hike, and in my mind, it's a it's an opportunity to test something out, some yeah, new piece yeah. of gear or some uh-huh. skill, uh-huh. you know. So I'll build a little fire, or I'm trekking poles, whatever it is, you know. Right. Uh, drives her nuts, but that's what I got to do. Yeah. So <laughs> mission oriented. That's right. That's right. Uh,
2: yeah. Well, so what did uh, bring me along on the on the So you've you've set aside this time Mm -hmm. to to go on a go on a big hunt.
3: Yep, yeah. So I set the goal. Um, I was going to go out, and you know, I I wanted to bring some buddies along with me. So I I have one guy who I hunt with, uh, my buddy Darren from Texas, and we usually hunt together once a year. We've done different things, and then um, I've wanted to get another buddy rick to go along with us and uh experience some of these same adventures because because he's he's very similar mindset like he really enjoys the experience of being outside and uh just for various reasons he's not been able to join us but i thought this might be something that i could talk him into so i started early i got those guys involved and and they were cool with that they're like okay yeah we'll do that we thought maybe we'll backpack in somewhere and set it up um Ultimately, decided I took my camper down and set that up. Yeah. Uh, just trying to trying to reduce some of those kind of hurdles. And then it was really about figuring out where did I want to go and and then learning that area. Uh, so I had to pick a spot. I mean, we've talked about this before. Yep. Like, okay, I've got 1.8 million acres, which 50 or 100 or 500 or whatever, am I going to yep. pick? So I just had to pick something, and then and then you get know, more detail. You
2: talking about acres makes me think of something that's interesting. So one of the places that I spend quite a bit of time hunting in national forest, like I often evaluate the size of it based upon like how far I travel inside mm-hmm. of that, you know. And so like I might turn on my X, you know, tracker. Yep, and you know, on on an average jaunt up in there if i'm moving quite a bit maybe not just going to one place but maybe i'm scouting and hunting i might go four miles or something in a day like that's pretty common so one day i was like i wonder how big the area is that i hunt because you know i i we all if you go to a place over and over you kind of begin to learn the boundaries of kind of just where you go you know, I go to that ridge that way. I go as far as over there. I go as far as over there to the east. Mm-hmm. And then I start back at the truck, you know, down in the south. I did the the feature on Onyx. A little where you box. Can, yeah, where you can box it in. It was 400 acres. Blew my mind. Yeah. You because, thought it would be bigger than that? Well, because the furthest point that I go one direction and the furthest point that I go the other direction was like, two and a half miles Mm -hmm. but the little square was narrow so it had a real long edge but then it had a narrow and it was just the the layout of this particular area and you could you know and uh and i was just like holy cow i would have thought i was hunting 2500 acres (laughs) (laughs) yeah
3: i was hunting like 400 and change. Well, and think about that from the standpoint of the density of the animal that you're pursuing on the landscape. Like, how lucky is it that you find an animal in that small amount of space? Exactly.
2: Exactly. Yeah, especially with these bears, man. And we could nerd out about densities, which that's part of what makes the sheep hunt of the South so intriguing, is that... The, the animal densities in the Ozarks, in, the, in uh, the western Arkansas mountains that we are hunting, are less than a bear per square mile. So, you know, if you think about that in terms of acres, you know, square mile would be 640 mm-hmm. acres, essentially. Yep. And so, at any given time, there is a better chance that there's not a bear in the square mile that you're standing in than there is. Because it's like, it ends up being a little bit, well, there's places where they're just more dense, and there's places where they're, they're less absolutely. Dense. There's there's place, and that's what it boils down to, is that these spatial, the spatial data that they use to gather bear densities and kind of understand like how bears spread across the landscape is just a way for us to try to get some descriptor, but it's not accurate really <laughs> at all. No, because we've all seen pictures of multiple bears in the same frame. I mean, even if it's not over bait or something like I've got pictures of multiple bears in the same frame, Mm -hmm. just out in the mountains, just for whatever reason they were there together. And it's like, well, this is a statistical anomaly, (laughs) Um, but these bears have these massive ranges. And I'll tell you what I've learned from talking with Laura Conley up in Missouri, Sarah Lida over in Oklahoma and Myron means here in Arkansas is that, some of these males have incredibly large home ranges mm-hmm. and females as well. I mean Sarah Lida was yeah. telling me about one that was crossing over into Arkansas and Oklahoma that was traveling I want to say 30 miles but mm-hmm. for a female, I would have told you before nah they don't travel that far the males do but these males I mean they're travel up in Missouri they're traveling like they're traveling
3: 175 miles in a single direction mm-hmm. And So So it's crazy to think, I mean, and that's what makes it so hard to do this hunt. You might have a picture of a bear that was on a walkabout. He may have just been coming through and going from, you know, somewhere down by the Arkansas River. He may be going up to, he's probably not going to Missouri. That's a, that's a pretty long walk, but. Very well could have though. But, but that's just, that's just what makes it that much harder. Like. I mean, as I sit here and think about it, I go back and forth on it. I haven't ever done a sheep hunt. I probably won't ever do a sheep hunt. I think, you know, you can sit in one place and you do a lot of glassing, looking for sheep, and then it's a then it's a physical test. Right. I think. Yep. You know, you've got to get from here to the top of that mountain, or the top of the next mountain, or whatever it is. Well, here, it's a mental test. And a physical. I mean, they both have all of this stuff. So I don't want to denigrate, you know, sheep hunters. But point being, I'm okay you, with it. The mental part of it here is you can't see. You can. I mean, you can. Use, I used my binoculars, but it's for me to be able to see through the trees. Yeah, you know, to you, see a hundred yards. You know?
2: you, oh, if you could see a hundred yards in the places that I hunt, that would be like a broad vista. Oh, yeah. I would feel like Daniel Boone, like, coming over the Cumberland Gap, like, looking across Kentucky, if I could see 100 yards.
3: Yeah, no. And the only reason, I mean, and i That's a mental challenge. That's the mental challenge. And then, and you know, the physical side of it is still you've got to get out there, whatever the weather throws at you, whatever the hills throw at you, whatever, and get it done. Man, hey, I've hunted a lot of
2: places in North America, and these mountains... Are They're not as big. I mean, the highest elevations we have here in a 3,000-foot range. Mm -hmm. And and to that, some people would go, ah, small mountains. Because, you know, out in different places, you're hunting mountains much bigger. Yep. But what people don't realize is that most – so the actual relief that we're dealing with with these mountains, which would be the actual amount that you're climbing, Mm -hmm. you know – might be in the 1,000 to 1,500 foot range. Like, that's what you'd be... So you would start at, like, 1,500 feet above sea level and then go to, you know, Mm -hmm. above 2,000 or something, you know, whatever. That's not my point. My point is these these hills are rugged and filled with obstruction. The obstruction is the hard part and obstruction could be a log. I've heard it said that when you're walking and you actually have to pick your foot up to step over a branch or a log, you're exerting like twice the amount of caloric energy mm-hmm. to that step as if you were just walking on unimpeded ground. Oh, like yeah. we just spent a bunch of time out in Washington and uh, man hiking down a trail, going back into where you're hunting, is way easier. Even if it's pretty far, even if it's going uphill, it's not apples to apples what I'm saying. You can't just say, ah, those little hills down there aren't that hard. Come down here and walk in them, and you'll see. And I just spent a week in uh, the Missouri Breaks, and now the Missouri Breaks are all in themselves kind of the same story because they're not high elevation and so you think, oh, I don't need to be in that great shape. It's not big mountains.
3: Man, it's just a rock pile, mm-hmm. you know, and a, so it's... Yeah, I think anytime that you have to clear those those hurdles, it's not just like walking on a path. That's going to... And, and I there's a lot of hunting that's like that for sure. You know, there's not just a path to every great hunting spot. Yeah. But when you throw that onto, into the mix of what you're doing, you, you are... Any hunter that that chooses to hunt that way should be commended for the effort, the extra effort that has to be expended to do that because it, it adds a big dimension to it. That has yeah. to be overcome. I mean, it's, so that is a mental and physical part of it because you have to break some of those barriers. You have to physically choose, I'm going to go through that rock garden, that briar patch, that, you know, th- those blowdowns, whatever it is. And you and you go do it, you don't even think about that while you're doing it, and that's another thing that I wanted to get out of it was just to challenge myself physically and And what I learned in that clay is that I can do that stuff. you know we were I was talking to Jonathan about this, you know, our good friend um, Jonathan Wilkins, and I was talking to him about this last year in January, and he's like, man, we can do so much more as humans than what we give ourselves credit for." Mm-hmm. And through hunting, I have learned that. And I figured that out again. I had that reinforced for me on this hunt where, man, I, it, I need to go over there. So I went over there. It's just yeah. like, okay, you know, just yeah. get there. You know, and there's no
2: substitution for that, like for, for that in the field combination of physical aptitude, but also mental grit. I was following uh, Devin Jewell up in British Columbia, who is probably 10 years younger than me, super shaped, got legs like a gazelle, uh, and I was following him through the mountains. This was a few years ago, and Devin's a good friend of mine. It was one of our first times hunting together. I felt like he was trying to lose me <laughs> and I just set in my mind that he wasn't going to lose me, you know, and I just <laughs> stayed right on his tail as we were going up this hill trying to get to this glass and spot. And uh, when, when we got done, it was to the point that I just laughed when we stopped and I said, that was fun. <laughs> and I said, I said, what do you find with your clients? Like, because I don't, I was like, I don't think a lot of your clients probably would have done what we just did the way we just did it. And he said, man, he said, it's all about attitude. He said, you might get a chubby 50-year-old guy in here that just pounds the mountain because he's got the desire. And, you know, obviously you have to have some foundation of physical fitness. You're yeah. not just going to go from couch to that. But he said most of it, he felt like was not actually physical but was mental. Mm-hmm. And he's he said he's seen these like ripped guys just be really mentally weak. And I'm not taking anything away from people that focus on physical fitness. Like cuz we know that there's some incredible guys that just do some incredible stuff, but at the same time it's not everything. But the combination of mental and physical yep can be
3: a really powerful combination. Yeah. And so and so I wanted to test myself in that way. That's another thing I wanted to get out of the hunt was um, and I had done some of that last year, you know. Hike back in somewhere, you know, walk in waterfowling area, things like that, and and those things are physically taxing as well. I wanted to bundle that all together into one cohesive, comprehensive hunt that
0: mm-hmm. I would
3: go out there, I would hit it hard for multiple days, and be. My success was entirely wrapped up in completing the experience, not, not punching my tag, but just completing the experience. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, bringing home meat was going to be the bonus if I got to do it.
2: So we started this by talking about where, you know, like you said, you you were talking about your stages of planning and you were like, I had to pick a a spot, um, yeah. Can't, I don't want you to tell it where you were, obviously, but, like, how did you how you do that? Well, I... Any, and while you're at it, don't give them any tips that's going to help them. Right, yeah, because don't... Is, we've, we've shared too much already. You know what? This podcast <laughs> is done. Guys, go to Georgia, go to East Tennessee, don't ever come here to bear hunt. It's terrible. No, go ahead. <laughs> Actually, I'm serious. Georgia's way better than Arkansas. Well, they get two, two ba- tags, two bear tags. And I guarantee you that you got more bear than we have. Well,
3: here's a fun little fact for you. So I had been talking with some of the guys that I used to be on the Southeast chapter board with. And one of them is like, I've been hunting for 10 years and I've only ever killed one bear. I don't know how you went out there and did it in one year. I'm like, I don't know how I did it either. <laughs> <laughs> <It's> <laughs> and mystery. he hunts in Georgia. So, really? Yeah. Well. So... Um, so how did I just, yeah, like what, what, what what I, what I was looking for clay is I, cause I knew that what I was going to fight was, um, cause we can bait on private land in Arkansas. right? right. And so I wanted to get as, try to find as big a block of public land as I could find that still had good access for me to be able to get into. Like I knew I wasn't going to be able to hike 10 miles in, with everything I needed on my back, that's just, I don't have that skill set. So I needed roads and and I needed some of that. So I've just looked at different places. Um, We have several federally designated wilderness areas here in Arkansas. Um, You can pull out any map and look at any one of them and kind of see the same kind of thing of what I'm talking about. Um, I just wanted to find someplace like that where I could get away from... There's also a Proheadet lot of land.
2: walk-in hunting areas that are essentially like wilderness in Arkansas. Yeah. That that have no roads, but they don't have that specific designation. Mm-hmm. So for people looking like that, it's not just those wildernesses. There's big chunks of national forests, mm-hmm. specifically some of these walk-in yep.
3: areas, but go ahead. Yeah. So that, I mean, that answers the question like
2: that's how i picked where i went what about the county were you looking at harvest numbers or anything
3: i i checked i checked that um and yeah i mean it had it probably played a little bit of a role but any anywhere that would fit the first requirement was going to be fine for me as far as harvest numbers yeah i mean and that's just the way about your what about how far from where you lived were you interested in uh in that didn't bother me too much. So it, you were willing to drive? Or yeah, whatever. yeah. And it was—I mean, it's was two and a half hours from where I lived to get there. So yeah. you know, a scouting trip was a day. Yeah, you know, that was a yep. day that I was going to spend gone from home.
2: Yeah, yeah. You know, th- that's the biggest question that like people have on a traveling hunt is where to start. And I know with me elk hunting in Colorado and and uh, and and many of the other traveling hunts I've done it's just like where to start Mm -hmm. and um, sometimes you just got to go I mean you just got to you just got to pick a spot with the best data that you have and just just go try to
3: learn it well and you know I think having the time and the ability to go scout whatever that's going to look like for you that certainly helped like I didn't make my final decision on where I was going to go until I went over there probably sometime in May I think and drove around, um, knowing by that time that I was gonna. I wanted to bring the camper, right, right. And so I wanted to find a place where I could put the camper. So I had to be able to at least pull a camper into it. You know, there's right. some places that I I scouted out that would have been pretty sketchy for me. It was tough to get to with just a truck. So right, I knew right. I wouldn't be able to get in there with a camper. So I did one loop, looked at, found several places. So that if I got over there and that spot was taken, I could go somewhere else. Um, and then I then once I had settled on that, then I just spent the summer map scouting, coming up with places I wanted to go look at, then I'd go mm-hmm. over for a day and look at it and,
2: yeah. and do that. So tell me about like what you what you found in your scouting, what you or or, or maybe jump right into the couple of days you got over there a couple days before season yeah and let's let's talk about like this
3: year like what what did you find okay my early scouting that i did over the summer and leading up to it was just about understanding the terrain okay you know when i look at this map what does this mean like like yeah okay you know getting it you can look at a map but if you don't really comprehend the scale You don't know, okay, you know, a thousand feet from that creek to the top of that mountain, what does that look like? How hard is that going to be? What does that trail look like? And so I did a couple different hikes. I just went Uh over there and hiked four or five miles and see what it was like. Then I was looking for, um, I was looking for just basic terrain features. I looked for water. I looked for, um, oak flats you know in the summertime i was just trying to look and see what kind of trees were there stuff like that um i was pretty satisfied with what i found on my scouting trips you know a lot
2: of people ask if they see a bear in a certain place or getting pictures of a bear will it be there during bear season i get that pretty often mm-hmm. somebody else send me a picture in july and they'll go hey i got this bear over here do you think he'll be here in <laughs> october and um And I always say, probably not, but that doesn't mean that another bear is not going to be there. Right. That specific bear, I mean, I'd be surprised if you ever see it again, (laughs) but you're in a bear area, which is good, and it's all about food source. Mm -hmm. You know, they have these huge home ranges, and they utilize different parts of that home range at different times of the year. So it's not a bad sign to find bear sign during the summer, but it's not necessarily going to be highly relevant. Right. Come the end of September when season starts. Yep. It's good intel, but it's not super
3: relevant. Well, and that's what I was I was kinda I mean, I was hoping to find sign at least, you know. Just so you'd know there were bear there. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Make sure yep. I wasn't going someplace where there weren't. So um so my goal with the trip was to go set everything up a few days before the season opened. I spent um the Thursday all day and then the next and then the Friday morning. Um, and we did some scouting on Friday afternoon too, but, um, went, just walked in different areas, just went for a walk. Um, just to look and see, can I find the hot sign? Do I find the, you know, the white oaks dropping up high versus down low? What are the water holes look like? Um, you know, I, I ended up finding hogs where I hadn't seen any hogs before. So, mm. You know, I had to, I had to process that, like that's going to have some impact on what, you know, what's like, what's using the water hole. Um, yeah. You know, I was looking for bear tracks. I was looking for bear scat. Um, some places I hadn't been before. So I was even looking for access. Just can I get to, I want to get over to that certain place over there. Can I actually even physically get to it? How rugged is it? Um. So so that's what my scouting involved on Thursday and Friday. Yeah. And I uh, found some You didn't deer want to sign- kill those hogs? Uh yes, I did want to kill those hogs, but it is illegal in Arkansas to kill hogs on public land before November 1st. Wait a minute. Are yeah. you serious? Yeah, I double checked on it. See, I thought it was just on WMAs where they were managing for that. My understanding reading the regulations was Well, you're not allowed to hunt specifically for hogs on public land in Arkansas. Right. Um, You can incidentally take them with the method of take that's legal for the season you're in. So if it's archery season, you can shoot them with a bow, et cetera. Right. But that doesn't start
2: till November 1st. I'll be done. Yeah. Okay. See, because when you told me, you
3: texted me and you said, found hogs. And I said, shoot them. I was going to. Man, I had my pistol out. And I was I was a little bit too far away for a pistol shot, and this was before like I wasn't carrying my bow because it wasn't because bow season wasn't open yet. Yeah, um, but I had my pistol with me just in case, and I didn't get a shot, which um, probably probably is a good thing. It's good, you know. Yeah, well, see, it, it would
2: have been my if you would have said that, I would have I would have checked the regulations, which I haven't. I it, almost every place I hunt doesn't have hogs right now, mm-hmm. so I just hadn't paid that much attention, but. I did know that on uh, the wildlife management areas you could not shoot hogs. Mm-hmm. I did not know that that applied to uh, national forest. What no. they
3: say is just public land.
2: Okay. Okay. When, when well, that's great
3: it. intel. Good news. Okay. So you. So I scouted Thursday and Friday. My buddy got my buddy Rick got in town. Um, Darren ended up not being able to come. His dog got sick and. Had to have surgery. Come so, on, Darren. I know. That was a. Your we, dog got sick, Darren. <laughs> <laughs>
2: Come on, man.
3: Well, you know. You're a hunter
2: gathered. I don't even know, Darren. I'm sure Darren's listening to this, Darren.
3: Yeah. No, he. Good dog ownership. Yeah. It was good Bad that he stayed. Bear hunting. Yeah. This year he missed out. He missed out. But Rick got there. And so okay. um, job, took Rick. him around and showed him a few things and made a plan and uh, woke up. You know, we made a plan. I hadn't really seen anybody. I had seen people in the area, but I mean, aside from a little bit of flagging tape here and there, I hadn't really, I didn't have any indication of how many people we'd have hunting in our area. 5.15 and we're parked, uh, our camper's right off the road. 5.15 in the morning, morning. opening morning, guy rolls up in a truck, kind of slow rolls past our campsite. Goes down the road a little ways and parks. Oh man, somebody else is gonna do be you can in see here. his lights parking? Oh, yeah, yeah. I mean, well, we go out from camp and his truck was right there. Okay, <laughs> so you know, um, and uh, and who knows, he may listen to the podcast and, and he ended up talking to Rick later on, um, and yeah he was hunting exactly the same place I was hunting on Saturday.' Be deer hunting probably he was deer hunting, yeah, yeah most of the people that were over there were deer hunting, yeah, yeah, and um he had no idea I was there. The only indication that I had he was there is I found a half a boot print somewhere on the trail on my way in hmm. um just and I man, I was real slow getting in there. <laughs> But we decided, so here's something, um, that we decided that it wasn't worth it to us to get up early to try to get somewhere because we couldn't see. Yeah. And we didn't probably know the area well enough to go bumbling around in the dark. Figured we might as well still hunt our way in, yeah. set up, and sit and watch. So we. So he went in. That guy was there at 5.15. We didn't go out. And it was super foggy that morning. We didn't go out till. It might have been seven o'clock. Yeah. Six thirty, six forty-five at at the earliest. Yeah. Um hunted all day Saturday. I hiked, you know, I hiked in different places that I hadn't been before, saw some cool stuff that I hadn't seen. Um, spooked some deer. I actually found some torn up logs that day. In retrospect, I think I put myself in a pretty good spot. Um, but it was in the middle of the day. And by early afternoon, I hadn't taken enough food with me to stay out all day. So I just, um, hiked out of there and, uh, I just wrecked myself hiking out. Like I picked a way to go that climbing through all the obstacles. I mean, I had a little, not a bluff. It wasn't a cliff. It was a small bluff line. I had to navigate. I got into a briar patch that I couldn't hardly get through, Mm -hmm. um, I'll probably still have sc- the scabs from mm-hmm. it. But mm-hmm. um, so I didn't go back out Saturday. I got back probably 2 30 or so Saturday afternoon. I didn't go back out Saturday night. Sunday, I get up. Rick had seen a nice buck that morning on Saturday morning. Mm. Um, couldn't get a shot at it. So we were like, well, maybe, maybe we'll be incidental deer hunters. So we went back in kind of the same area. And the plan was that we were going to hunt just a few hundred yards apart. I could never find a place where I wanted to sit and hunt. So, I just kept going farther and farther and farther mm-hmm. and farther. And I made another two it's and a half story or three miles. of my miles. life. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I ended up hiking another probably two and a half three three miles. Uh, made a big loop. Got back in the afternoon. I was wrecked again. You know, it was hot too. That mm-hmm. was the other thing. It was pretty mm-hmm. warm. Had some lunch. Drank some water. Got myself charged up. Made a plan for Sunday night. Went out and thought I was going to make just a really small loop Sunday night. Got into it. I was on the, I felt like I was hanging on by my toenails on the side of a hill that couldn't hardly navigate, but I found bear scat Sunday night. Mm. First scat that I had found. Bear scat. Check. Yep. So that was one of my measures of success. I had told several people, if I see bear scat, I'm successful. So I, I checked that box. It was old, but I was glad to see it. But got back on Sunday night, and both Rick and I were like, "This, these two days are not working. Like, what we've been doing is not working. Just hiking up and down, changing elevation. So made a plan for Monday. I personally, my plan was take more food, stay out all day, do more sitting, and less hiking. Mm. And so... Um, and Rick, uh, decided to go into a different spot that we had scouted. We had seen, I put a camera up on Thursday and we checked it on Friday, had a deer, had walked through there, had seen some scrapes and stuff. He was going to go hunt that, see if he could get a deer. So Monday morning we go different directions and I get to the trailhead, get started walking in and. I walked in probably half, three quarters of a mile and I get to this drainage um, and there's a quasi trail in there. So, you know, people have been back in there and I kind of walk up this little dry creek bed a little bit and I get to looking around and I'm like, man, it really looks like something has been around here, like living here. You know, it's just what did what did you see that made you think that? First thing was just, you know, when you're in the woods or whatever, and and the leaves are fluffy. You know, there's like they've just fallen. Right. Um, But then when there's been a lot of activity, like the leaves are smashed or they're pushed away, you see clear spots in the ground. Yeah. Um, There's just some places where it looked like something had been coming and going a whole bunch. Activity. Activity in the leaves is Mm -hmm. what you're saying. And then I started kind of looking around, and I saw a bunch of torn up logs, Mm. Um, and and so and and they looked, I mean, they looked like newer activity in that regard. You know, some logs are just blown apart, and it's like, man, no big deal. But I had seen so many torn up logs in all the hiking around that I had done, I had started to be able to look at it and say, okay, that's newer, that's older, yeah, stuff like that. So I kind of filed that spot away. I kept on. I had some goals of, for the day of where I wanted to get to. I did a couple different sits through the day. And ultimately, I got myself on this little point, and I was sitting there. I found another pile, of, little pile of bear scat out there. Mm, older, though. It was older. It's dried. Yep. Yep. And ultimately, um, I realized about 4 o'clock in the afternoon that I had set myself up under a widow maker
2: okay under so, a big
3: tree that was gonna fall had, had a Could, bunch of, had fallen. a bunch of dead limbs up in the top of it okay and and something I struggled with that was really the whole time that bothered me was wind is supposed to be out of this direction a man down in these hollers and everything it was just going every which way mm-hmm. supposed to be generally prevailing out of the north that day and it was constantly coming at me from the southwest Mm-hmm. And so the wind is blowing, and you know I hear the tree, hear the branches knocking together. I'm like, this is not the place I'm going to make my last stand. Like I'm just <laughs> going to go somewhere else.
2: So, hey, that's the story of hunting these any kind of small cut up terrain features. Whether you're in the Missouri Breaks or in the Ozarks, cut up terrain is just highly unpredictable especially when you're off the side of the mountain, sometimes on top of the mountains mm-hmm. because the wind is not obstructed is going to be fairly fairly congruent with what you would look on a weather forecast and see. Yep. Uh, sides of mountains,
3: hollows is just going to be chaos. Yep. Yeah, and and that's exactly what I was finding. I mean, I was hunting around 1400 feet elevation and the mountain tops to the north of me were 2000 feet. So man, the wind was just coming over the top and then it was just rolling mm-hmm. and swirling and coming down and doing all kinds of crazy stuff. So I had seen a pretty good rub line. I had scouted in that area on Friday. I had seen a pretty good rub line and it was pretty close to that activity area that I had seen Mm-hmm. And so I decided I'm going to go back over to that spot. I'm going to sit kind of back up away from that where I can watch the trail. I can watch this little drainage area and just, that's where I'm going to, that's where I'm going to finish the day, probably going to finish the hunt there. Cause I had to come back for a meeting. So I was like, well, and, and Rick had to leave. So thought I'd, I'd at least come back and resupply. And maybe if I had to, I'd go back and and uh, on the weekend. What does Rick have that was so important? Family. Rick had family obligations. Rick. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Rick. Rick lives his life in balance. Clay. Good. Has he been listening to our podcast? I think so. I think Rick, so. you should have stayed. <laughs> <laughs> now, no. No. Good job, Rick. Yeah. No, he's going to get his kudos later on here. So, so. So, I figured, you know, I'm just going to go back and sit there. So, I go back and you and I were trading messages a little bit. And um, I think I told you at that point, I figured I had hiked about 14 miles over the right. over the five days, I guess. And so, I get in there, I sit down, I'm sitting on a log. Um, You know, I, I think the, the way to envision this mentally for people is if... And I, I think I told you this, like if you put your left hand out in front of you and you make the make the sign for four. Okay. Every one of your fingers is a ridge line I'm running it now. Running downhill towards your hand. hmm uh, your fingertips are high up on the mountain and your hand is low oh, okay. towards a creek drainage. Gotcha. And then each one of those spots in between your fingers is is a hollow that mm-hmm. where the water's coming down when it rains and whatever. There's a trail that runs across the knuckles at the base of your hand. Okay. Okay, and that's the trail that I came in on. Okay. And I was sitting essentially at pretty close to that knuckle on your pinky finger. And I was watching the drainage that runs between your pinky finger and your ring finger. Got it. And I'm watching the trail that runs across your knuckles. Got it. So... Off to my right on the trail is where the rub line is. And off to the left up the drainage is where this. Uh, Mysterious
2: disturb- disturbance. Mysterious.
3: Was. Yes. Um, 630. I'm looking out and I can see the hillside across from me in this and the sun and shadow. The shadow is just creeping up the mountain, but it's getting pretty still, you know, like it does around dusk. And I'm like, okay, I can make it 30 more minutes. That's when sunset was. I was only about a half a mile, maybe a little bit more than a half mile from the truck. The trail was a quasi-trail, so it's real easy to get turned around, and I wanted to get out before it was totally dark. I'll make it till 7 o'clock, and then I'm going out. Put my phone back in my pocket and do that slow head turn to the right, slow head turn to the left, just in case anything snuck up on me while I was looking at my phone Mm -hmm. when i turn my head to the left i see this black fur (laughs) (laughs) i'm like oh that's a bear (laughs) so i got my bow in my left hand i clip my release on and it and as it's coming up it goes behind a pine tree and when it goes behind that pine tree i come to full draw Mm, this just happens, just like bam. It's it it. How close so, is the bear? Uh, at that point, I don't know how close it is. I think it's pretty far away. Hmm. I mean, I mean, you tell me. I
2: mean, was it like forty yards away or like no? No, it was like ten yards away. Oh,
3: that's very close. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. With you. So, so we um. So so I come to full draw, and when that bear comes around that pine tree, its face fills my sight picture, (laughs) like looking through your peep. Looking through my peep. Oh, this sucker's close. Yeah. Wow. And um, of course I'm thinking, okay, well I can't shoot it in the face. (laughs) I had you know looking
2: at the horns, James. (laughs)
3: Yeah. So so it sees me and stops, and Mm. then it goes. Mm, And kind of huffed at you kind of huffed yeah 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 and and it jumps up on the base of that pine tree Mm. and and it's just sitting there looking at me and that would be a pretty typical
2: response of a spooked bear like he's trying to make a decision should i run up this tree to get away from this thing like a lot of times when a bear is spooked it'll put its front paws up on a tree. Yeah. Because they can climb a tree like a squirrel.
3: Oh man. And it was just like it was like on the ground. And then it was on the tree. It was like just like bam. boom. Did it totally latch onto the tree or were it's back feet on the ground? No, it was totally on the tree. So it just
2: like just jumped like up on the like Spider Man.
3: <laughs> oh man. You're so at full draw looking at it through your peep sight. I'm site. at full draw looking at it through my peep sight. And I've been I mean I've been practicing for this trying to get that automatic, because archery is not my thing either. I mean, mm-hmm. I, I've, I've been working at it all summer long. I push that bow away, and I pull back, you know, get that back tension. Mm-hmm. That top pin right in the middle, middle of the middle, and I let the arrow so fly. So you're,
2: you're, you're looking at like this broadside bear, but it's vertical. But it's vertical. The, the Bear Outing Magazine
3: podcast never trained you for that. It didn't didn't and i felt let down in the moment <laughs> it was through my head i went doggone it clay we're gonna have a whole episode
2: on shooting bears on the sides of trees <laughs> you did good though
3: you aim for the sort of the middle mm-hmm. and yeah. then of course now at this point the bears later figure out six yards oh man he's right in your lap he was i mean he wanted to get in my lap I feel like is that's where he was going because he was coming around. He was going right down that tree that that log that I was sitting on. He would have come right down the wow. uphill side of that log. Wow! So arrow flies, it hits him. He runs off Did with it pass the arrow. Okay. No, he runs off with the arrow in him. You see, and the arrow I hear, arrow in and it. I hear it hit smack. Yep. Wow. Um, looking back, you know, it hit him. You know, c- spoiler alert. We get the bear. Um, Mm -hmm. but hit him in the shoulder, right? Not in the shoulder, just behind the shoulder, basically in the armpit. Um, I got one lung and then there was a small hole right at the sternum. So it came kind of, so either the bear was kind of turned towards me. So the 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 entry point
2: was right behind the left front shoulder, right front shoulder, right front shoulder. And then the arrow came out in the chest. So Mm -hmm. it just, it actually, hit, uh, I mean, it didn't pass through a lot
3: of the bear. Right. It probably hit the tree would Uh, be my uh, guess that kept it from going through because he was uh, sucked on the side of that tree. So it probably hit the tree, but I did come to find out I got one lung. Hmm. So, um, if I had hit much farther, what we would typically say farther back, in this case with him vertical, farther down, um, I don't know if we would have gotten that bear. Because you might not
2: have got the vitals. Yeah. So, man, so he runs off, and then you kind of see him start to slow down out there.
3: Yeah, yeah. He runs off, and I do, you know, I'm sitting there. I go through everything, try to make sure I know where I am, where does he go. You have no idea. Like, in the moment, I know my memory could be really bad. So I try to pause and, and get my wits about me. And then I go and I check, and this was pretty quick after. I go and I check, like, what what kind of blood do I have? I find blood. I start to follow it very tentatively. I find pretty healthy amounts of blood, so I'm happy about that. Then I find my arrow. I've probably gone 20 or 30 yards. I find my arrow. By the time I find my arrow, I and I figure out how much penetration did I get, then I see the bear up ahead of me. Mm. Probably another... 40 or 50 yards i'm not quite sure on this point get the binos out i'm watching him i see him try to climb try to go up the hill um he kind of falls backwards and then and then kind of works his way down the hill so i think okay this bear's hit pretty good i i want to just sit here and watch and i watch and i watch and I i would take that as a really good sign i did i really i mean i was very very confident yeah I just sat there and watched. I was like, "I'm not going to go any closer. I'm just going to watch." But it seemed like he was not. Um, seemed like he was not just laying down and staying put. Right. So this had me a little bit concerned. And this is a, this is how long after the shot?
2: Ten minutes. Okay, so if you shoot an animal and he's still alive ten minutes later on his feet, that is a sign that everything isn't. As it should be. Right, right. It's not necessarily a, a terrible sign. The good sign is is that he hadn't run out of the country and that you saw him. Right. I mean, when you shoot an animal, if you can keep eyes on it, which rarely you can, I mean, an animal that is just non-mortally wounded is going to be a long ways away right? after 10 minutes. Yep. So the fact that he was still, he hadn't gone very far was showing signs of struggle that's a positive thing it would be a red flag that he was still alive yeah I mean like a, a double lung hit animal will usually live I mean for sure less than a minute I mean and, and they can even be dead quicker than that mm-hmm. so that's
3: just kind and, of some yeah points that, to think about and that's what I was what I was going through in my head was watch him as long as I can. But also recognize that I still need to get out of there. If I'm if I'm going to leave him, I've got to get out of there without spooking him too much. Did you ever think about trying to get another arrow? I did. I thought about it, but there was no way. Okay, like he was it's just thick. And... It was thick. It was far. You know, it was too far away for me to take an ethical shot. I mean, I yeah, I could have thrown an arrow, well, at him, hey, but
2: let me stop you there. In my mind, there's no unethical shot after the follow. Ha- yeah, that's true. That's. I mean, true. like, really, like if you could have seen the ba- the bear's hindquarters, and you could have put an arrow straight in a hindquarter, that's ethical because you've already initiated mm-hmm. anything. Yeah, is going to
3: slow him down. So anyway, yep. that's just a thought to think about. Yep, it was pretty thick up ahead, and and right. eventually, I did have I did get another arrow out. I had another arrow knocked, um, but he he moved in a way that just I could see. I yeah, could see just, black. It stuff wasn't moving. like he was just in wide open woods, yeah. and you could have just shot an arrow. Yeah, I, I understand that. So when he kind of got where I couldn't tell where he was, it was getting too dark and everything. I tried to back out and then just get away, and I probably didn't get far enough away um so he probably kind of felt my presence a little bit but because i thought i heard some scrambling around who knows it could have been a deer you know i i want to
2: stay on this point because i think this is something that people are going to encounter have encountered will encounter and maybe some dialogue around it would be good there's there's this when you're retrieving an animal and when you see it after you've shot it there's this momentary decision that has to be made, do you move in real aggressively or do you back out real conservatively? And there's never an exact answer. Mm -hmm. And you did the right thing because you found the bear. So I'm not saying you did the wrong thing, but I'm saying there would be a time and you, and you just got to follow your instincts. Yep. I mean, you just have to follow what you think is the best thing to do without being rash? Without, but you know, there's been times when I've followed up on an animal where I got real aggressive, where I was just like, yeah. "That sucker's not going anywhere." I'm not letting him get up, getting up, and walking off. I'm gonna.
3: And I was. In. I was really close at that point. Right, I yeah. was really close to doing that. Just going in um, aggressively. Had he stayed where I could see him? you probably would have pretty, pretty well if he'd gone down right there i probably would have but he as he kind of went fell backwards and then went down the hill back into the the little drainage i pretty much lost sight of him yeah and i was worried about two things running him yeah needlessly yep or having him attack me <laughs> mad you <Yeah>. know <laughs> well that is that
2: is a legit consideration with a bear and i and i'm i am not suggesting that you know anybody charge up on a wounded bear but th- there could be a time when you would do that and you made the
3: right decision so don't hear me telling you you did yeah, something wrong. yeah no 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 so um got out of there hightailed it back to camp um celebrated with rick like that's probably the best part of the whole hunt yeah yeah i mean i come tearing into camp i honk the oh, horn man. rick was already back there. i wish i would have been there man and i just i jumped out of the truck and and rick opens a camper door i'm like rick i shot a bear he's like you did what <laughs> <He> <laughs> i said i like... shot a bear <laughs> <laughs> oh man so um ate something real quick and made a plan Decided. Look, I think this bear's mortally wounded. I think I know where it is. Let's go get him let's go give him a look. Let's go look for him. So we went went back in about nine o'clock that night. We had to follow the whole trail because he wasn't where I thought he was. Mm. And ended up calling off the search at midnight. We mm. he there were places where we were following like pin felt like pinpricks of blood. Yeah and eventually he got to a spot where he got up out of that drainage that's between your pinky and ring finger started up onto the ring finger hillside mm. and had we found blood small amounts of it all around a tree and a rock that had a big depression looked like a maybe a denning spot or something like that mm. and lost it just there was no more there mm-hmm. was no more trail and So we called it at midnight, went back to the camper. How far was that from the initial place you shot the bear? That was probably... uh, The trail itself was probably 100 and... That was probably 100 yards. I don't know. It's kind of hard to say.
2: So the bear went 100 yards and you lost blood. That's what I'm trying to get at. Yeah, yeah. Yeah.
3: Wow. See, I would have I would have been really discouraged when I saw it starting to go uphill. We were. We were absolutely discouraged. Yeah. You know, when he went down in, I was like, okay, he's gonna go down he's there. He's just gonna be down in the creek. And I walked up that thing and I was like, man, he is not here. And I didn't mm. find blood either. That was the other thing. Mm. So um So then so it's the next morning. So it's the next morning. We get up, first light, we're there at seven o'clock, we hike in. I go back, we both go back to where we lost the blood. Rick walks up that drainage between the pinky and the ring finger, just to look and see, maybe went up and then came back down. Nothing comes up on top of the next Ridge works his way down. And, um, we get together and chat for a little bit. And, um, it's like, man, he's got to Rick's got to go here pretty soon. I go back, I'm still trying to find the next blood. He goes down into the drainage between the ring finger and middle finger. Mm, so over a hollow. Over completely over a hill, down into the next hollow, and that's where he found him.
2: Just random you know, just he was just essentially mm-hmm. just body cavity ser- body searching. Yeah. No. Yeah.
3: Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Just just looking for black fur. Wow. and and he, he i forgot to say on my way out i thought i heard the de- the death moans he moaned three times really yeah on my way out that night i heard
0: but he moved rawr. from that
3: spot? well i don't know i mean maybe he had already
0: moved okay
2: man okay you just threw in a whole thing you didn't tell me
3: yeah you so heard the death moan i think i mean i, I don't know James, you can't think you hear the death moan. Well, I didn't see him die whenever I heard it, so how do I know? I mean, maybe he was just groaning and being mad about something.
2: No.
3: Would it have been possible
2: from where you heard it that it was where he died? Oh, yeah. Okay. Well, see, this is valuable intel because the podcast that came came out today uh, that... That hadn't hit
3: my phone before I got down here. Well, I know. It
2: was delayed (laughs) getting up for technical reasons me and dad talk a ton about the death moan yeah and about well you'll have to hear it but if you hear if you hear anything after a shot like like that it means he's dead i mean when they death
3: moan they don't get up well that's what made me even more confident that we could go back in there that night and find him but he was in the other hollow he was but that but was but you were down low so you might could have well and so so I didn't remember by this point it's dark. Um, it's seven, it's about seven suns down. I mean, I can see to get out without my headlamp, but, um, barely. And I am not quite sure where I was on the trail when I heard that. Okay. But these, 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 four fingers that kind of run down together kind of come together so they, you just
2: heard Boo,
3: yep and i man. didn't know i thought he would st- i thought he was still in that first drainage like okay, i, I wasn't that far away from it I see. so i thought he was probably still there and that's why i was really confident that i could we could go back and he'd be in so, that hole so that how far from where you shot him to where you found him was the bear about 160 yards straight line But the way he traveled was probably more like two to two fifty. Okay. Well, that's encouraging because, you
2: know, what you learned is that the bear was had a one lung hit. Mm -hmm. So the bear only traveled, let's say, three hundred yards, like if it was actually walking. Yep. Before it expired. There's a couple of things to factor into. Um, I mean, you know, it was a it was a younger male that you took. Yep. So, I have seen, I mean, like a 400-pounder is going to just have more. You got to do more to extinguish that life than you do a a smaller animal. Yep. So, I think that factored into it, Mm -hmm. that one lung on a smaller animal is going to be lesser because I've seen some bad-hit big bears that just act like nothing ever happened to them. Yep. Yep you know, and that would have, yeah. So I think that's a factor. Um, but it's really good Intel that he, he died quickly with a one lung hit. Right. You know, it's pretty good Intel.
3: Yeah. So, I mean, he passed, I would say, I mean, cause it was about seven o'clock or thereabouts. I mean, I shot him right at six 30, 630, six 35, something like that. And I backed out of there by seven. I'm pretty sure. And, um, If I, if that was, if those were the moans, you know, that I heard, um, I mean, he died pretty quickly. Yeah. He was cold when we found him. That was the other thing. But the next day. Yeah. Yeah. So. Well,
2: man, that is like, uh, I, I like the, the strategy that went into it, the work that went into it and that you executed the plan. I mean, we communicated some that weekend I was hunting too and you were like not finding much sign and i was finding the same thing and you know, or mm-hmm. similar not much sign and then the next text i get from you you go i shot a bear <laughs> i mean it just didn't even make sense yeah. and let me let me well first of all i don't know the full story of the sheep hunt of the south i mean like we started talking about this i've been successful hunting this way but like there's 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 a lot to be learned, and so I'm learning from your story. Yeah. Um, the Here's what I know is that this is a super tough year to kill a bear in National Forest. That's been my observation. It seems like it. Just because the sign's not concentrated, game's not concentrated, acorns aren't concentrated. On years when things are really concentrated, it's much easier. So I think you pulled a needle out of the haystack yeah. for your third day Hunting, I mean, as a matter of fact, I was a little bit upset. I was like, James, <laughs> we're trying to build this up. It's like, this is a tough hunt, and then you go out and just like kill one right away, I do a couple of is, podcasts, and just go out and do this. It. Is hurting my narrative of the sheep hunt of the south. No, that uh, so, no, I think you did something extraordinary, and uh, and I love it that it was intentional. I mean, you hear about guys getting lucky, I mean, there's always a guy that just gets lucky. Which more power to him. I mean, half the time I'm in the woods. I'm just hoping to get lucky. Yeah. Uh, you know, the guy that just is like, Man, I was just deer hunting and found some sign and killed it on the first day. You know, but how intentionally you were about it, that's what's cool. Yeah. Is that you set out to do this, you learned this, you learned a totally new area, you you executed your plan, you brought in your friends. Um, you know, I mean, like so much of this is so cool.
3: Yeah, it's it's been a great experience. I've learned so much about myself, about where I live, um, and the things that I feel like I didn't do as well as I wanted to just makes me that much hungry, hungrier, well, more hungry uh, well, to go let's, back.
2: Let's let's end the podcast talking about what you learned. Like what what did you learn
3: about this type of hunting? Well, the first thing, of course, is you can't be validated by seeing game. Rule number one, Rule no- sheep out of the south. Yep. You you have to like the process. Yep. And I really did enjoy the process. Just being in the woods, letting that bubble shrink around me. Mm-hmm. I mean, yes, I hiked 14, 15 miles. Golly, my pace was really slow. Like I was sneaking everywhere. Yeah. Um, so just you have to love the process. And and that was fun. And and I and I liked getting out and seeing how I mean I learned a lot about the terrain and how animals use the terrain. Like I never thought about this until probably on Monday, and I'm like, why in the world would an animal go from the creek bottom, which was at roughly a thousand feet where I was, eleven 1, hundred something like that? Why would they go? Why would they run up and down the mountain a whole bunch? They wouldn't do that. That's, they're wasting their energy. They might run across the face of the mountain. Yeah. So just got me thinking about different ways of hunting. Um, I learned, you know, learned a ton about my gear. Um, what can I carry? What's extra? What do I not need to carry? Mm-hmm. Um, I realized when I looked at it on the map, when I was all done, how little, of the area that I intended to hunt, how little of it had I actually, actually hunted Yeah, so much more area to be explored. Um, and the other thing that I learned was to trust what I was seeing. Mm. I, after, after seeing the suspicious spot, going back to it and seeing a bear there, Starting to put the pieces together. Putting the pieces together. It's like, look. I mean, if you have some gut instincts about it, it doesn't mean you're going to sit there today and see something today. But it's I. I think I saw a lot more relatively fresh sign than I gave myself credit for because yeah, I yeah. wasn't finding scat.
2: See, and that's man. That is essentially the story of becoming a good hunter is that you see sign you interpret it you understand what it's going to take to kill to take an animal over that amount of sign
3: mm-hmm. and
2: it's always nuanced like in the in the best example would be like me talking about just my ultra hot spot bear hunt that I would describe as going into a white oak flat finding 12 piles of fresh bear scat yeah. in within sight and beat out bear pads and <laughs> that's yeah, what I was looking for. Yeah, and I never and, could and, find and, it. And the, I mean, the reason that's so special is because that's so rare. But like if you find that, man, you better you you're gonna kill a bear the first time you, you're, you're gonna encounter a bear probably the first time you sit in there if you do do some stuff right. Yep. There's also the caliber of sign, like the really nuanced sign like you're talking about. Which I think you need more data points to really draw super strong conclusions. Exactly. So I'm not discrediting what happened because I think you'd sit on that kind of sign a lot and
3: not see bears. Exactly. Yes. You know what I'm saying? Well what you're learning. What I was worried about is that I was just there was no bears. Like there's no bears, there's no bears. There's no bears. Well, there's bears, they just might not they're not quite as concentrated well and i think what i saw because while you were doing this hunt i as well
2: was hunting in the mountains Mm -hmm. and i hiked i don't know how many miles but i went through all my little traps you know and found very little bear sign um i think when you see that concentrated sign you're seeing multiple bears using the same area Mm -hmm. Uh, i don't know the research of how many times a bear defecates during a day (laughs) <laughs> uh, but that would be interesting intel yeah because they are just calorie eating machines i, I would imagine it'd be multiple times per day mm-hmm. that they would defecate so you know if you see 10 piles of scat you're like well how does a bear you know take a you know take a dump once a day or three times a day i don't yeah you know, i think it's multiple times that is it, when they're eating a lot but you know you the bears are, when the bears are spread out and maybe there's only one bear using that area, like mm-hmm. you're talking about, like the chances of you finding his scat or seeing his actual print in the tiny little mud hole are less. Yep. Yep. So that, I think that's what you encountered. Yeah. Was maybe a place where yeah there was one bear, as opposed to right.
3: This is a hot spot where there's multiple animals coming in here. Yep. Yep. Do you think that's right? I, I think so. I mean. I'm pretty, pretty certain that where I was, there would be multiple bears in that area and, and talking at a, a, at a given time. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, my, yeah, and yeah. My And Rick was talking to some people and I mean, there were several people over in that area who, who had, yeah, oh yeah. So-and-so killed a bear over on bait, you know, a few days ago, or I've killed one in here before, blah, 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 you know. And, um, so I know yeah, it's I was a in. Good a, I was in a good spot. Yeah, I, it, it it was just getting those paths to cross. Yeah, you know. Yeah. The what I what I would say the the biggest thing that I learned was more of a personal lesson of how good it was to share that experience with with a close friend. Yeah. Um, you know, I've known Rick for 25 years. I mean, since we were in college and, and to have him be there to share that with, Mm -hmm. um, you know, that, that's something I've never had before. It was something that I did want to get out of this, out of this experience. You know, Darren and I had hunted before together several times and we have had successful hunts and that's been very enjoyable for sure. This was one of those things where I put in so much effort leading up to it that even if I hadn't killed a bear, it was a great experience. It was a good time in the woods just catching up. But then to have that success after both of us had hunted so hard, we all kind of figured like if one of us even sees a bear. That's a win. That that would be a win. Um I'm still a little bit upset with Darren, but go on. <laughs> well, the good news is it sounds like his dog's going to be okay. <laughs> <laughs> so, so I, I just, that's a lesson, I guess. I mean, I don't know that you need to learn that lesson, but I, that's my take, one of my takeaways. You know, I think it is a
2: lesson, uh, because you started out this quest by asking yourself what what do I want to get from hunting? Like, and part of that was something a little bit deeper from a human relationship standpoint. And that brings it back to something that I like to talk about. And I'm exploring for myself because much of my hunting is solo. Like, that's just been the way I've been successful. Now, my local hunting, like with the kids and stuff, is anything but solo. But a lot of my other stuff has has been solo. Mm -hmm. That's kind of my default. That's my M.O., it's just like I'm gonna go do this, and i I learned that when I was hunting with the guys in elk camp a few weeks ago, I actually learned kind of about myself and kind of compared myself to these other guys I was hunting with mm-hmm. and I realized I was a lot more like solo oriented than some of them, and it was a negative thing, yeah, like, in that case, you needed like well buddies and stuff and and if everybody had been like me it we would have it wouldn't have been good, so you know I kind of was like, okay, you can't be like this. You can't be like this all the time. And and my dad would be the first one to tell you, he he hunts pretty much by himself to this day, he's 72 years old. He goes and sets up a camp for a month and, I mean, pretty much hunts by himself. Mm-hmm. In some ways, that's cool. In other ways, there's probably... Well, he's a... missing
3: out. He could be missing out on some things. He could be. And, and, and so
2: I want to make sure, well... Man, these stories mean nothing unless we have somebody to share them with. Well, right. And yeah. nobody can deny like some big tough hunter be like, ah, I do this for me, I do this for all these different reasons. You do it because you want to share a story with another human. I I just I don't care who you are. That's what gives it value. Mm-hmm. If you didn't have I mean, and even like this, I mean like like if i killed a bear i would have been excited to share it with you because i know you would be interested in it because yeah. you're doing it's like your pursuit of this adds value to what i'm doing and i know you wanted to share it with me i mean we're yeah you know it's like my engagement with this style of hunting brought value to you yep and yep. so it wasn't it was a wider experience you know yeah. and, and man that goes back and people have heard me say it and i'll probably keep pounding this drum because I think we we miss it sometimes in the outdoor world, is that the hunting experience, though it is done in isolation, is actually a very communal thing. The very essence of hunting was to provide for family friends, community. Mm-hmm. That's why we did it. That's yeah. why great hunters were revered inside of indigenous tribes. These guys were the keys to success of the larger larger whole. And obviously we're not dependent upon this meat to survive at this stage. We may be after the elections in three weeks, (laughs) but like provision, you know? And and I think, I think the way that we draw that into relevance in today's world is what happened to you through this process of personal development, of you testing yourself, you planning, you strategizing, you drawing in other people that may not have been interested in this is... Is ultimately, I think you provided a, a template for your kids and for others to be able to set a goal and accomplish it. Yeah, and that's a powerful human thing. So anyway, I'm I'm drawing this all into like um, there was a lot more than a bear killed inside of this, but there was value drawn from it that can be used in other parts of life.
3: Right. Yeah, and it and the and the value in it and and something that people who don't hunt sometimes don't understand is, is that holistic value of what you get from the hunting experience. And and not to say that the animal that you take is secondary or inferior to the human experience that you get from it. But where we are today as a society, that animal is not required for me to survive, but it allows me to experience a more a, a richer human experience connecting me directly to my food connecting me to the the brotherhood the camaraderie right. of a successful hunt um sharing that with um with others sharing it with my family and my friends there's such an intangible amount of benefit that has come out of this for me Certainly would have had a lot of that stuff had I not killed a bear, but killing the bear then ties that all up um and and like I said it i there's so many things that I want to go back and do better next time um Man, I wish I had another tag in my pocket. <laughs> <laughs> that's why you should go hunt Georgia. I guess. <laughs> not Arkansas. Maybe I should. Man,
2: hey, really, in closing here, what are you going to do with this bear? Okay. You've already eaten some of I've it. I've already
3: eaten some of it. It's fantastic. It's all cut up. Your and family liked it? Yes. Yeah. Yep. Now they'd had some bear meat before. They had had a little bit of it, yeah. but yeah, I mean, they liked it. Um, the hide and the skull went, um, I was going to do the skull myself, and I was like, oh, man, that's I'm going to delegate that. So I sure. took that to the taxidermist and and took the hide. I'm just going to tan the hide. Yep. Nothing fancy with Did you it. You make some bear chaps? I don't think so. You've seen my bear chaps, right? I have. Um, I don't have any animals to ride, and I that's not a uh, that's not, not a high, high priority. That's not a high priority okay. in, in the Brandenburg household okay. right now. Understood. But uh, you know, I will say that after hiking around a whole bunch, I could see where having a mule to ride over there would be real handy. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Yep. So, but yeah, I mean everything. Everything. So, what went back have you cooked me. already with it? We put a shoulder in. Um, just did a basic stew, you know, potatoes and carrots and whatever. Yeah, yeah. A little bit of rosemary, a little bit of thyme, and How'd salt. You cook and pepper the meat in in the stew. Like put now, you brown the meat. Brown the meat first. Okay, so you chopped. I it left up. it on the shoulder. Okay, I left it on the shoulder and. Just put all of that in the pot together. What do you mean you left it on the bone? I left it on the bone. And
2: you put this whole this part of bare shoulder, whole bare shoulder in a big pot. Yep. With all the stuff cooking around it. Yep. Okay. At and
3: um and then you cut it up afterwards? Shredded it. Shredded it. Once it tendered up, we just, just shredded it with a fork and put it back in the stew. Took okay. the bones out, okay. shredded it up. Okay. And you get all that flavor. Okay, I mean, I like yeah. It. When it when it. See, cooled, I would
2: have thought. I would have thought you would have trimmed all the meat off the bone, chopped it, and mm-hmm. then put it in the. Stew. Yeah,
3: made it into stew meat first. Okay. We just did it. Just put it in there, just like that. So you that. got all the bone, all the. You get that broth out of the bone. You get. Okay. um you How know, long about, did you cook it? About six or seven hours. Okay. It so got super it... tender, though. Wow, good. Hmm. We put that in the fridge, and then the next day I went out to get leftovers, and and you know you get the. All the fat rose to the top. Yep. There's a healthy layer of it in there. And then I just mixed that all back up in there. Heated it up. Man, it's, gone. it's so good. It's so That's good. good.
2: You know, they say that uh bear meat has a uh, higher level of protein than deer meat. Did you know that? I didn't know that. Mm-hmm. I've been
3: feeling pretty strong this
2: week. So mm-hmm. you're looking good, man. Thank you. Uh <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm serious. Like you look at you can look it up about the charts for wild game protein. Mm-hmm. And there's multiple charts, and some of them say totally different things, which I'd... It's hard to get a good read on it, probably. But the a guy that I trust, uh, actually, he, he listens to our podcast, a guy named Mark Hall. He's got his own podcast up and from British Columbia. Um, he, I'd read something that he wrote, and uh, anyway, I trust his research on it. Okay. And the uh, black bear meat has more protein than almost any other big game we hunt. Wow! Sure, See, that, that just makes me want to go back yeah, out and get a bigger one next fuel, time. Fuel, man. Yeah. Oh, man, I got uh Yep. I wanted to say something about Mark. Uh, the conservation uh, talk for a minute, James.
3: Yeah. So um, you know, I skinned it all out myself. Um, just took the morning when I got back and I skinned out the skull. It wasn't terribly difficult. Watched a couple of videos and um did that, skinned out the paws down to the down to the claws. And um that probably you know, mm. the taxidermist told me that probably saved me a little bit of money because he didn't have oh, to really? go do so that. So you
2: skinned it all uh all the way down. You skinned out the paws. Yeah. I was gonna talk about that. That's one thing that in the bears I've skinned four bears in the last two weeks yeah um and every time with a new bear hunter and uh, a lot of times on the feet i'd never slowed down enough to really script out exactly how to even just cut the paws off like joint out yeah and, and i really slowed down and actually there's going to be an article in bear hunting magazine a pictorial article yeah. not not about the whole uh, uh just about how to get the feet off of the bone yeah, and, and like if you're going to do a mount or something. Yeah. And there's um,
3: different ways to skin the paw based on what you're going to do with it. So people kind of need to know what they want to do with it before they get started on that. That's something right. that, I, that I learned and I just watched a couple videos and then, I mean, my intention, cause it was a, as a younger male, so it's not going to be a huge trophy or anything. I just wanted to tan the hide. Yeah. So I just cut straight down the pad and then just worked it out of there worked it out yeah
2: mark hall with the hunter conservationist podcast oh it's a good podcast
3: he's a he's a he's
2: he's a knowledgeable guy so so yeah that's what
3: you did that yeah i did all that took didn't take me that long you know people might ask how do we get it out of there um it was a smaller bear so we just found a pole yeah and the two of us Tied him by his wrists to the mm. pole and, and carried him out that way. We you did you get any pictures of that? It was just the two of us, man. And we weren't we weren't Come in on, selfie, selfie mode. So we just carried him out like that and yeah. got him in the back of the truck. I took him back to camp then and and did all the rough cutting back yeah. at camp. And Rick had to take off. So he left yeah. me with all that work. But, you know, he found the bear. so Well, he, he got he, a pass. He does. He gets a pass. Good job, Rick. So, all right.
2: Well, that's, that's awesome, man. Well, I'm really happy for you. Uh, yeah, and I know this is probably just the start of your, of your bear hunting world.
3: I think so. Man, um, I, one thing that I just want to say is, you know, it's hard. And, you know, for somebody who wants to do this, don't listen to other people that tell you, oh, it's not worth it. You might as well not even bother with it. If you have to be validated by killing an animal, this is not for you. Yep. But if you want the experience and you and you want to try to test yourself against it, go out and do it. I saw some Facebook comments here recently, somebody else was asking about hunting hunting bears in the in the national forest and some some people had said, "You hey, don't even waste your time with it." And man, I just like, let's, let's celebrate the success. Let's celebrate the effort. And, um, I just feel like people need to know that it's hard, but it's fun. Like I had a really good time doing this. I I don't think I'd have the same kind of fun. Um, just, just deer hunting and partially because there's more deer out there. Yeah. Like if I hunted this hard and didn't see any deer, I'd be like, Man, I must be just a terrible hunter. But there's hardly any bears out there, so to speak. Yep. Uh or there's fewer of them, let's put it that way. Yeah. It's just go out there and hang out and yeah. see what you see. Yeah, it's a different style hunt, different pace hunt.
2: It takes a different mentality. Yep. Well, awesome, man. Well, uh Yeah, really appreciate it. Congratulations. And uh yeah, let us know. Let me know how you keep using that bear me.
3: I will. I yep. want,
2: we uh, Colby just did a asabuco recipe. That's going to be in uh, the next issue of Barely Magazine.
3: I'll be looking forward to
2: that. I've got four oh. shanks in the freezer. Yes, yeah. hey, it's it's incredible. I, I I cooked it a month ago. Yeah. Um and um, but he cooked it and photographed it just a few nights ago, and he he was thrilled. Now was with, that with with his bear from mm-hmm. this year? Yep. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Cutting the shank leaving the bone in mm-hmm. uh, he did it in an instapot yeah so just like an hour long yeah I'd like, done it in a crock pot when I left it for a long time mm-hmm. and he did an instapot he said it was super tender super good so sweet alright well uh, hey man keep the wild places wild cause that's where the bears live
3: yep